Welcome to another episode of the Exit 142 podcast. Just a quick reminder, this podcast is raw, unfiltered, with very little editing. I want to thank our good friends at Western Wyoming Beverages for sponsoring the show, and to remind you, whatever you do this winter, to do it with a Mountain Dew. And also, that Bush Light is the official beer of the Mealy Fanatic Foundation. Speaking of the Mealy Fanatic Foundation, Drew and I welcome Josh Corsi, CEO and co-founder of the foundation, as we talk Heck, basically the history, some projects, and how you can get involved uh, with the Muni Fanatic Foundation. Kick back, relax, and enjoy this episode as much as I do. Welcome to another episode of the Exit 142 podcast. Ryan Grossnickel here with my brother Drew in, I guess, in studio, not much of it in studio. Uh, I guess we don't have it in studio, but uh, welcome Josh Corsi from the Mealy Fanatic Foundation. Josh, thanks for hopping on. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh yeah, we're. I know Drew's excited about this one and we're pretty pumped to have you on just uh, all the efforts uh, the Mealy Fanatic Foundation does. And with that, heck, can you tell us a little bit about the foundation and kind of where it all started? Yeah. So, um, you know, where it all started, uh, really it, it, uh, much like this podcast, it was, uh, we were trying, uh, some mule deer conservation efforts. Uh, and I say we, Joey Fagel and I, um, recognizing that uh, there was a need for some focused attention on mule deer conservation in Southwest Wyoming. Uh, both of us, Wyoming natives, uh, love the outdoors, love the time in the field in the fall that we get to share with friends and family, um, and just recognized over a lifetime of seeing what uh, was occurring on the landscape with our deer populations that there was a need. And, um, you know, at that time, and this was uh, 2006, 2005, actually, um, we, uh, we, we didn't know really you know, we, we both had our own careers, what wasn't in the conservation business, uh, and just started exploring, like, you know, how, what can we do? Like, if this is our time on the timeline of history, uh, how, how do we give back? How do we try to make a difference? And so Joey and I, uh, we organized a, a meeting with uh, some friends of ours that we thought would be interested in helping kind of champion or be ambassadors to carry this effort forward. And we had reached out to at the time was really the only organization that uh, kind of spanned its reach into Wyoming. It was a, an organization that still exists today um, called the Mule Deer Foundation. Uh, they were just transitioning their headquarters from uh, Reno, Nevada to Salt Lake City, Utah. And um, their regional director, who was based out of the Denver area that kind of covered uh, central and south Western and Southeastern Wyoming, everything really except for the Northwest, the Cody Pal country um, was, was kind of his charge. And so he visited with us and uh, we got it going and uh, we, we went gangbusters for five years for that organization. Um, and essentially when I, I say we went gangbusters, I mean the responsibilities of a chapter, if you will, for that organization entailed, hosting an annual event every year, a fundraising event to, to generate money. And that would further the mission. And uh, that, that was, that's really where it ended. And um, after five years of doing that effort, uh, we, we started to see that there was uh, you know, there was just a different need. And uh, it was, it was really, I, I, I don't want to, 
say that uh, it was spurred out of frustration, but there was some frustrations, if I'm being real with you. Uh, we had generated, you know, I'm a bean counter. We were tracking everything. We had generated $581,280, and I could only account uh, for about 12.2% of that money coming back into Wyoming. And it wasn't even coming back into Southwest Wyoming necessarily. And, and we certainly didn't have a voice at the table of how those allocations would be made. And, and that kind of, you know, you, you just, you couldn't help but feel a little chap that uh, we're, we're putting out a great deal of effort to bring our business community and our, our friends and family members from this part of the state to, to gather and raise money for what was a, a very sincere and pure intent of helping mule deer. Um, and it's not that we didn't care about mule deer in other places, uh, but certainly we thought that, you know, folks uh, that were supporting this effort locally in southwest Wyoming deserve to see the fruit of their own labor or be able to, to measure their their own impact with the dollars that they're putting forth. And long story short, we, uh, we visited a little further about the idea of uh, starting something else, uh, our own organization, and... Really, that uh, even at that early stage of uh, our departure from our affiliation with MDF, it was well. Let's just uh, let's continue to operate very similar to how we've been operating as the Muley Fanatic chapter of MDF, um, but we would just organize ourselves as our own five hundred one c three nonprofit. And you know, at that time, we were still very much with the the premonition of. We'll continue as we have been for the previous five years of building some momentum and raising some awareness to bring local stakeholders together to support this effort that could make an impact in Southwest Wyoming. And we certainly weren't looking for a career change or looking to to grow this into something beyond Southwest Wyoming. We just thought we could hold our, our annual event that had uh, you know historically been held the first Saturday in March every year. And after that event, uh, we could get a group of guys or gals together that uh, had an interest in allocating these funds to to reviewing some worthwhile projects that we could uh, have some sort of measuring stick of how we could make these dollars uh, go the furthest and have the most impact. And so year one, that's what we did. And uh, when we left MDF, there was uh, certainly some noise that uh, came with that as as for the five years that we had been in, affiliated with them, the last four years, uh, we were their largest net raising fundraising event. And so it, it kind of caught some attention of some others. And then the phone started ringing. Uh, the folks in Denver that were affiliated with them said, hey, we, we understand you guys have left. Uh, we, we have the same frustrations. Uh, the folks in Kimmer, uh, they they were very close to us in, in just by proximity of distance and knowing our activity. And, and so with those two calls and then finally what kind of put it over the top was one of the other larger chapters that uh, was affiliated with the other organization was out of Casper, Wyoming, and they had the exact same frustration. We were all kind of saying the same thing that, uh, you know, there's a better way to do this. Uh, there's a different way to do this. And, so with that, we, uh, we we thought, well, I guess we, we need to go back to the drawing board. And um, we had uh, great, great uh, generosity from an accountant, uh, Brad Radakovich, and uh, an attorney locally, Charlie Barnum, that uh, said, you know, we can, 
we, we can write the bylaws and the articles of incorporation and get this established uh, to be beyond just a, a single event that uh, you're trying to host just to make a difference locally. But if you believe enough, and, and it was kind of Charlie who put it out to us, that if you believe enough of this idea of what you're doing, why would you not want it to expand and grow if, if you think it can have the same level of impact here, why wouldn't it work elsewhere? And so that, that really kind of put us back on how do we figure out how to turn this um, all-volunteer single event a year into an organization that would then require some management, but yet not lose the aspect of the impact that our aim and goal was to have. And uh, so with that, we you know, it was across the board uh, pretty pretty unanimous that the biggest single frustration was the bulk of the money was leaving, and right behind that was not having a voice or say in how the dollars are being allocated. And, and so we had to come up with a model that could stay true to why we wanted to, to break off and establish our own organization. And that model, by design, was meant to be simple, and uh, we call it our 70-30 model. 70% of the funds that are generated at the annual chapter fundraising event are retained by the chapter. 30% are sent to MFF headquarters so that the organization can continue to operate and grow. Um, and then the big part of the local impact is that uh, those 70% funds that are retained in a local bank account uh, with that local chapter in that local community is that they're allocated and put on the ground by an all-volunteer PAC which is an acronym that stands for Project Allocation Committee. And those individual chapters organize the all-volunteer pack and then review project submissions. And then they, as a collective body of a pack, they vote on how they'll allocate their funds to make a difference in, in their backyard. And um, that, that's really what kind of got it rolling. And then from there, it, it just, I mean, it's now been 10 years and, to look back, we're, we're celebrating our 10th anniversary, but how it has grown to encompass chapters now that span seven states. Uh, we've got 17 chapters, including a state that doesn't even have mule deer. We have a chapter in Virginia, and, uh, you know, that really came about by the, the gentleman that leads that effort in that area. His name is Dave Cavanaugh. Um, he owns property in western Wyoming in North Lincoln County. And he, and he ran across a, a project that uh, Game and Fish was facilitating. Um, he asked a little bit about the project, found out that there's this conservation group in Wyoming that was kind of spearheading this research project. So by the time he actually called us, he knew a lot more about us than, than we could have ever thought. Uh, he had done a lot of research and talked to a lot of people. And when he called us, he said, uh, I'm two years away from retiring, but when I retire, I want to give back and I want to give you five years to make a dedicated effort for mule deer conservation back east, knowing that folks back east come out west to hunt mule deer and that they also have a role in playing for the furthering of the conservation of mule deer. And I think that uh, there's a great opportunity back here for for me to organize and, and build a, a solid following. And, and so that's what he's done. And he's next March, he'll be into his fourth year. And so... <laughs> We'll see how it goes after his five-year commitment. I mean, he's no spring chicken, but he has the energy of the, the Energizer Bunny, and he's just he's, he's a very passionate individual for conservation, and we, we've seen that across the board with all of the folks that uh, decide to volunteer in that capacity to lead the effort and champion the, the furthering of the MFF mission.
So it's really yeah, kind of, I guess, you know, it's it's not a it's not a quick thirty second commercial because there's a little more to it than that. But that that's really kind of how we got the the go to to get this off the ground and to get it started to grow to where it's at today. No, and I think that's awesome, you know. And I, I think you know the big thing for me is, you know, the money that you guys raise. A lot of it is going back to, like you said, the, your backyard. It's where you know this conservation efforts is happening. It's not you know, just hearsay or we're not going to put our money where our mouth is. But, you know, it goes back to, you know, Kemmer or Pinedale area, the Upper Green River area. I mean, that that to me is a very cool part of, you know, the foundation and what you guys are doing. You know, you basically said, hey, we're sick about having money in our and to do things we want to do. And we're, you know, we care about mule deer in our area. So we're going to do something about it. And heck, 10 years later, look where you guys are. And I think that's just awesome for you guys and hopefully with you know hopefully we can help you guys spread the good word and uh, maybe get some more chapters uh, across the country yeah i certainly we we appreciate that uh you know there's there's been some learning curves ryan and drew with you know uh, starting a conservation organization doesn't come with a an owner's manual or a playbook if you will and so um you know we've we've looked at what others are doing we looked at uh the ultimate impact that we're trying to make. And, you know, when part of organizing and developing our mission statement, um, we, we spent a lot of time um, just really thinking and pondering of the impact of what this mission is, knowing that any of the financial benefits of raising those dollars by constituents, community members, stakeholders, businesses, etc., that, uh, you know, we we had to be able to hold ourselves accountable to a mission and it would be easy just to say, well, we're just a mule deer conservation group. But in our mind, there was really three pillars that were extremely important for us. Um, and that, you know, our mission statement, I mean, it's the longest sentence probably out there, but it is, it is one complete sentence for a reason, but it's built with three pillars and, the mission statement is to ensure the conservation of mule deer in their habitat and to provide such supporting services to further the sport of hunting and sound wildlife management. And, and really, I think when you can pick that apart and look at what that is, um, you know, I think it's obvious what uh, the conservation of mule deer in their habitat is. I mean, you, you start putting together the, the limiting factors that are limiting our deer populations. And then you, that gives you, kind of a roadmap on how you can try to offer remedy or mitigate some of those challenges. But then furthering the sport of hunting, I think that was equally as important to us because the majority of the folks that support conservation efforts are sportsmen and sportswomen. Not that all are consumptive users of the resources or or hunters, but the, the vast majority of the people that uh, support conservation efforts our, our sportsmen and sportswomen. So um, I recognize that while we live in Wyoming and know many of folk that uh, are consumptive users of our resources, uh, there are 10 times as many in this country that don't. And so sportsmen are, are really the minority. And so furthering the sport of hunting, I do believe is a responsibility that we hold in the highest regard and making sure that we can pass on the, the ethical and responsible way of carrying out that uh, participation that we have in game management through hunting uh, for the next generation. And then the final point really where we've kind of stood out as a conservation organization is sound wildlife management. And, and what does that mean? Uh, that, to us, that is accountability, 
that's accountability that is rooted in science and that you're making the best decisions with the best information that you have. And if you don't have the, the right tool in the toolbox that you're willing to invest to, to get it. And so research is, has been a strong, strong backbone component of within our mission statement and, and especially where we've allocated a lot of dollars to. Yeah, that, that it's uh, crazy. I mean, I've heard this. This will be a uh, third time hearing about everything, and it still blows my mind. Um, but going back to the uh, funds and all of that and bringing projects to Wyoming, um, what in the last 10 years of doing Muley Fanatic Foundation, what would you say is the biggest project that you guys have done or been able to accomplish in that 10-year span? Boy, that's a... You know, certainly, I guess the one that uh, comes to mind because of the the enormous price tag, almost, I mean, it was just a little over $1.3 million commitment. That was a a PhD project that we partnered with the University of Wyoming uh, to commission this PhD project south of Rock Springs, of course, in partnership with the Game and Fish Department. Um, But that that was a project that... uh, you know, really was for an organization that was less than five years old, that was a pretty bold step for us to make that type of commitment, just knowing that internally we knew that the the need for this project, that we could raise awareness and be able to, to garner the necessary support to be able to pay that financial commitment that we were willing to make. Um, you know, at the time when we made the commitment, when that project in its you know, early planning stages was proposed and the price tag that came with it. Uh, we, we, there's no, I mean, we just had nowhere near the amount of money to be able to make that project work. But fortunately it was a project that would span five years. And, uh, we knew that we would be able to go to work and, and generate the interest and support. And, and that project, uh, we call it the deer project, but it's an acronym that stands for deer elk ecology research. And, and it really was us looking at this South Rock Springs deer herd that, you know, encompasses hunt area 102 that was prized by sportsmen and sportswomen from abroad, that it was an overlaying map of what also was three limited quota areas for elk and, you know, 30, 31 and 32 that those were also very prized limited quota areas. And yet we were managing our deer population very conservatively on that landscape. Uh, our deer numbers were still declining. It was an area that made for a perfect laboratory in our minds. It had nothing to do with the proximity of being close to home, but being limited quota, not having any oil and gas development on that landscape to speak of um, at that time, uh, especially coming out of, the beginning part of the 21st century when there was such big oil and gas development in other parts of the state, it, it was easy to point to that type of development to being the the culprit for the, the d- downward turn or decline of mule deer. That couldn't be said in that little mountain area because we just didn't have that. So that was a huge factor for us as well. And then on top of that, knowing that our elk population numbers were as robust and growing as they could be and so that, that was a big one for us. And, um, you know, that we've had other big price tag projects. I mean, the Wyoming Range Research Project that's been going on now for nine years, 
Uh, we've we've put almost seven hundred thousand dollars to that project just from our organization and many other partners. I mean, that project is well over five million dollars total. Um, but I think that deer project is the one because it was such a grassroots effort that uh, we we internally got to to work with the university and the the Hobbs School of Natural Resources and, and Environment. We got to work with the department. And we got to flesh out what the objectives of that project look like. And we really focused on six areas, productivity, nutritional dynamics, seasonal movement, seasonal diet, resource habitat selection, and male mule deer recruitment. And so that that project, if there's a feather in our cap that I'm, I'm really proud that we were able to get off the ground and then meet our commitment uh, fiscally and then the continued support to raise awareness of what that project was going to flesh out. I, I think we're probably always going to hold a very special spot in our hearts for the, not only the, the project, but then how that project has spurred so many other projects elsewhere. Yeah, no, it's a uh, uh, crazy how much, uh, how much you guys are doing and that we see in our backyard every day. Um, so, why why would you say that these uh, projects that we're doing with, you know, University of Wyoming, different foundations, I'm assuming, um, why should the every Wyomingite care about that? Why are they so important for us? Um, what could happen if these, these potentially don't happen and we see our deer numbers plummet even more than we have? Yeah, and deer, certainly deer numbers are, I mean, uh, I still... I mean, coming out of this this most recent fall and hearing from folks all over the Cowboy State and other states as well, uh, where we have efforts, uh, Colorado, you know, has got world-class deer, much like Wyoming, but to, to continue to hear um, just the, the citizen science, if you will, the, the firsthand account of what's occurring on the landscape or the lack of deer that are being seen and places where you're now seeing elk that uh, wasn't that long ago. You never seen elk there, but it used to be littered with deer. Um, you know, if we, if we want to stop the bleeding, if you will, or if, you know, if we're at a time where a tourniquet is needed, uh, then, then we have to know what's causing it. And then we have to be able to, from there, um, work towards the, the mitigating efforts that can, that can stop that. And I, I think that's what, that's why that sound wildlife management was such a key component within our mission statement when we developed that was um, we need that accountability. I mean, you can have all the opinions in the world and the coffee shop talk and the talk at the tailgate at the bottom of the trailhead, but to give our game managers, our state wildlife agency, the tools in the toolbox, it's got to be rooted in science and accountability. And, and that goes both ways. The other part of that is, when you have that information and you can put that tool in the toolbox for our game commission and our wildlife managers to be able to act upon it, um, that also holds them accountable to being able to, to make and provoke the necessary changes that are also accountable to the science. And, and certainly we're seeing that. Uh, we, we've seen that uh, all over the state. And, um, you know, I, I just think that, if there is one aspect of all the efforts that we are trying to do to not only just 
help our mule deer populations, but sustain what populations we have. I mean, you got you got to again, you got to stop that decline before you can start to look at rebounding. And I think uh, it starts with research. I mean, habitat projects that are on the landscape, you know, cheatgrass treatment, invasive weeds, uh, enhancing the habitat with uh, forbs and forage, you know, bitter brush, mountain mahogany, things that deer eat. Certainly they all play a role in it, uh, restoring tributaries or enhancing riparian areas that are so critical for for not only wildlife uh, in, in the ungulate world, you know, deer, elk, and antelope, but all, but all wildlife benefits from water. Um, those are all necessary parts of it, but it, if you have the research to go with that, and you can look at uh, with great precision where these deer are living, where they are moving and transitioning from winter range to summer, summer range and then back, and to have those pinpoint accuracies to be able to implement wildlife crossings, and the necessary fence conversions to wildlife-friendly fencing, it still starts with information and having data. And that is why we've been so keen on let's provide the best information available so that we can make the best decisions available. And then championing those efforts. Yeah, Josh, I think, you know, this kind of that leads me into my next question of, you know, that was kind of the look back at the last 10 years. You know, what is the foundation, Muni Fanatic Foundation doing now and kind of what are the major projects going on right now, the current stuff? What's going on um, right now for you guys? Yeah, so in in the realm of projects, uh, there, there's no doubt that uh, of all the things that have been attempted and pursued, uh, the one thing that we can quantify almost day one with instantaneous measurable results of success are wildlife crossings. Uh, we've seen that time and time again, um, and they're needed, and they're needed in a lot of different places, um, but they come with a huge price tag. And, and it takes partnerships. It takes leveraging not only our, our state, but it takes leveraging our federal partners, whether that be folks through the Department of Interior and the Bureau of Land Management, or the Forest Service, private landowners, and even just our, our federal, I mean, you look at this most recent Inflation Reduction Act, they put up, and I, I will be the first to tell you, I mean, as a conservative guy, I have some principal issues with the way the printing presses in D.C. have just been working overtime. And in fact, I don't even know that they're working overtime. I think they just keep adding printers. Um, but there was $350 million that were put aside from the feds for the states to go after in the name of wildlife crossings, knowing how important that is for not only motorist safety, but also maintaining the healthy wildlife populations that we have. And again, principally, um, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, but those dollars are there. And I certainly want Wyoming to be in the driver's seat as a leader among the Western states uh, to get our hands on as many of those funds as we can to, to bring some of those wildlife crossings to much needed locations. You know, we broke ground this year in a project that uh, really was started nine years ago um, and has been on the, on the mind of many for a long time. But until we got the build grant, which was a $14.5 million grant from the feds, those crossings that are now underway between LaBarge and Big Piney you know, I don't know if we would have ever been able to find that type of money in the coffers that we have 
for Wyoming's wildlife um, without our, our federal partners. And that's going to be a huge one. I mean, that's a, that's a big need, but there's others. You know, South of Kimmer is one we're trying to raise funds for right now. I do believe that that's a priority number one for the Wyoming Game and Fish Department to go after some of that $350 million that's been allocated as part of the IRA. But, you know, between Kimmer and Evanston, that's a meat gauntlet at certain times of year. And, and there's others all over the state. Yeah, it really isn't. I mean, heck, uh, you know, you just look at that kind of just that mule deer herd uh, in the western part of the state. They really just follow 191 and, you know, US 189. And, you know, during, like you said, that time of year can be very, you know, just dead deer everywhere. And, you know, that's kind of what you guys are doing. And I know we've talked in the past about how important, you know, the one south of Kemmer is and, you know, uh, you guys done some projects and golf tournaments and raised money for that. Is there... I mean, if there's any way um, people want to donate to these these projects, is there a certain way they can do it, Josh? Is there a place they can go? Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, the, the Game and Fish Department organized uh, their own nonprofit uh, organization, if you will. I mean, they, they we certainly see them as a partner, not a competitor, but uh, it, it was a nonprofit effort that the Game and Fish Commission had organized three years ago called the Wildlife Fund. And so when we're raising money specifically for a project like the the South Crossing project between Kimmer and Evanston, uh, the money that we account for that we're raising for that project from like our golf tournament or, you know, Bush Light being the official beer of MFF, um, you know, we, we earmark those funds, and then ultimately what we do is we turn them over to the Wildlife Fund um, because the flavor of the day in the conservation community is, is all about leveraging partnerships. And so we are using the Wildlife Fund as, as the portal, if you will, or vessel to be able to collect those dollars and then leverage them to, to grow those 10, 12, 15 to 1 and that that's really the, the right place for for those funds to be. So I mean, you know, I if there if someone comes into the office and we and we've had this happen several times where folks want to donate money specific to maybe our youth hunting program with youth with terminal illnesses, those funds are earmarked and they're put in a in a separate account that are only to be spent on that. And we have the same thing with wildlife crossings. You know, initially we were collecting funds that were to be spent on the wildlife crossing project between KC and Buffalo. But once that project reached its, its ultimate goal and, and could fulfill that price tag, then we started to look at secondary or contingency plans for where's the next one. And right now, and, and it'll be there for a while because of the price tag, but uh, that Kimmer to Evanston on uh, 189, that, that's, that's the priority we have right now for wildlife crossings. Can you talk a little bit? I, don't, I think this goes in uh, kind of those projects, but the wildlife um, conservation's license plate uh, in the state of Wyoming. Can you go a little bit in depth on that and how that kind of helps these projects? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's exactly, I mean, so the whole idea and the whole premise behind the Wyoming wildlife conservation license plate was we had attended a mule deer summit in Pinedale, Wyoming in 2017 that uh, game and fish had organized they had brought uh, some of the the more keen mule deer conservation efforts that were going on across the state uh, and certainly we were at the table to be a part of this along with the nature conservancy wyoming wildlife federation 
Um, I think Bow Hunters of Wyoming was there at the beginning. And, and so we, we went to this summit that Game and Fish had organized that really was looking at all of the, the potential interactions with wildlife and the motorist traveling public on the highways and byways of Wyoming. And it was very alarming to see that, uh, you know, there was, uh, you know, at that time the nature conservancy had put out a report. They've since modified it, but that the estimate was between six and 7,000 big game animals were hit on Wyoming highways and byways on an annual basis. That number now exceeds 10,000. And that is in partnership with the, the collection data that YDOT secures with these carcasses that are collected. Um, and, and, you know, it, it became so evident to us that here is a problem. We know the problem. We know the solution. But we're being told that it's too expensive. And that's just, you know, it's hard when you when you know what the problem is and you know what the solution is that you're willing to accept that it can't be done because it's just too pricey. And so on our way back from Pinedale, you know, which is about a two-hour track home, we, in the vehicle, Joey and Chris and I, we just started talking about, man, just think if we had a conservation license plate. It would be 100% voluntary effort. If you if you know that this is a problem, you care about wildlife, and you're willing to spend money to buy this plate, knowing that these funds could be held to mitigate these type of efforts, um, you know why wouldn't that work? And little did we know that uh, you know that would that would turn us into becoming an advocacy group for a, a bill that we had drafted and had carried by a local legislature who no longer is in the legislative body. But, uh, you know, it was very strategic for us to find a legislature that uh, we knew could work both sides of the aisle. Um, they had good rapport and relations with both parties. And, and we found that legislature in, in a representative from the Green River area, uh, Stan Blake. And, um, we, we kind of pitched the idea to him. He says, you know, I can have the LSO office in Cheyenne draft a bill that encompasses the, the highlights that you have indicated, and let's just see where it goes. What we didn't know at the time, Ryan and Drew, was that 47 other license plate bills had gone before the legislative body, and they had all been killed, that there was this great effort by Wyoming at the time to not want to be like many of the other surrounding states that offer so many other license plates. And, and there was almost a sense of pride with our legislative body that uh, they just weren't, they weren't going to be like other states that Wyoming was different and they were going to maintain one plate and the alumni plate with the university. That was it. And what we also didn't realize was that trying to get a bill like this that generates revenue, which obviously needs to start in the house um, that during a budget session, we, we just we just added another layer of challenge to trying to move this effort forward. And uh, to sum that up, I can tell you that uh, despite calling every legislator in the state of Wyoming, every representative and senator, and trying to have these conversations with them, it wasn't any effort of progress that I could measure until we brought on the Stock Growers Association and the Petroleum Association of Wyoming. 
and just other efforts that I had seen in the, the recognized influence and power, if you will, that the Wyoming Stock Growers Association and the Petroleum Association of Wyoming has, that, that, that quickly became our strategy, was how, how do I get Jim McGagna as the director of Wyoga, and how do I get Paul Ulrich, who was the director of the Petroleum Association of Wyoming, how, how do I get those two gentlemen organizationally to endorse and support this bill that would then carry the weight of something beyond just a conservation group in Southwest Wyoming. And once I got the Wyoming Stock Growers Association and, and Petroleum Association of Wyoming to POW is what they're called. Once they came on board, it was a game changer. We, uh, we allocated $5,500 to a statewide radio campaign that was carried through Dawn Day Weather, which carries on 55 stations across Wyoming. And then there was a program uh, called The Great Outdoors by Ty, Ty Stockton. We got him to, to start carrying some advertisement on this bill and this effort. And once those uh, representatives and senators started hearing that uh, the Stock Growers Association and the Petroleum Association of Wyoming were behind this effort, all of a sudden it was almost like an immediate flip of their interest and their willingness to support it. And, uh, fortunately, that bill was passed, and uh, as of January 1st, 2019, um, those license plates became available to the residents of Wyoming. And again, it's all voluntary. Um, it's $180 to get the plate. Uh, 150 of it is retained in an account in Cheyenne in the treasurer's office, and it's earmarked specifically for very few limited things that it could be spent on. Wildlife crossings, signage for motorist safety, and fence modifications to wildlife-friendly fencing. That's it. It's very clean. It's well, very simple by design. Well, Josh, I have to say kudos to you and your team for getting that. Um, if you haven't seen the license plate, heck, it's been that three years already that they've been out. It's a slick-looking license plate. Um, and like you said, hey, you know, there was a problem. Here's a solution. And now, uh, you know, let's go out and get these license plates. So I uh, know that that's awesome, Josh. And, and I think it's, it's good to, you know, Wyoming's a weird place. And it, I think it's good to get everybody together on the collective effort. And you guys did th just that. So, again, kudos to you and your team. And, heck, I'm, I know we've been talking about projects, but I can't wait to see what else uh, you and your team are doing in the next few years. And, you know, just keep growing. So, again, kudos to you guys. Well, thanks. We we're we're not we're not really built and designed to pat ourselves on the back. At the end of the day, we're just like you and Drew. We just care. We just want to make a difference. We want to know that our time at this particular timeline of history that uh, we, we could do something that left it better for the next generation. And you know, I think that's what makes Wyoming so great. Is that uh, you know we're just wired to to be good neighbors, um, to be transparent to be hardworking and to, to be able to know that, uh, you know, there's, there's not a challenge that we can't overcome with gathering en enough people together that also are passionate. Um, and, and that's really, that, that's, that's why we do what we do. We, we just want to make a difference. Yeah. And uh, speaking about Wyoming being so great and uh, making a difference, let's, uh, let's hop into the youth hunts. Um, these are one of my favorite things. I know I'm, done three of them so far and I, I think it's just the best thing out there it's so much fun um 
let's go and talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that, I mean, it's, uh, you know, especially coming out of this time of year where those, those are very fresh, um, in just their recent occurrence. Um, it's certainly the most rewarding aspect of what we get to be a part of, uh, while certainly probably the, the smallest aspect of what we do all year, uh, the value and the difference that those have are, are really immeasurable. Again, this program is, uh, a program that is something that the Game and Fish Commission of Wyoming um, has created and carved out uh, a special opportunity for for those that are unfortunately dealing with life-threatening or terminal illnesses. And and it's a way for us to recognize that, uh, you know, we're, we're, if if we wake up every day and we can go get a drink of water or walk to the bathroom that, uh, our legs work, our arms work, our, our lungs work. And when you're healthy, you take it for granted, but, uh, there are, there are many out there that, uh, aren't in that favorable situation, just being normal if, as we would call it. And, uh, this is an opportunity that we have found that gives a uh, youth that, uh, have an interest in hunting to, um, find that opportunity to be in the field with some folks and mentors and volunteers that are willing to give up their time and to, to help them not only scout, but uh, go from A to Z and all the way to the end of being able to, to have their own harvest and enjoy the bounty of that uh, time in the field and the food on the dinner plate and, it's a tough one. You know, Drew, you've been there. You're right. Uh, and we're very grateful for you and your dad for the, the time that you have spent on these hunts with us. Uh, but you know, it's beyond vocabulary to see the look on the faces of those children and their parents. And, you know, we've even had youth that, uh, you know, we've never limited it. If mom, dad, grandpa, brother, siblings want to come, come one, come all. We we want it to be a memorable, life-changing experience that uh, breaks the regimen of what they deal with on a daily basis with their health situation, and, and it's awesome. I mean, it really is. It's a, uh, you know, there, there's times where you can't even speak because you get a lump in your throat because you just know what it means, and you're just so glad that you got to be a part of it to help it happen. Yeah, and I, I had to agree with you 100 percent on that. It's uh, everybody can remember their uh. Uh, best hunting stories but um say three of my top five have been those youth hunts for sure uh just seeing seeing the look on these kids face when they get a hold up uh you know 180 inch mule deer or a three 300 330 inch uh desert elk it's uh it it makes you remember why you why you do this and uh you know why hunting is such a great thing and that we should cherish every opportunity that we really get yeah well said i I couldn't say it any better Uh, i will tell you that uh you know in 10 years uh, this fall we now have facilitated 87 of these hunts Uh, we're still batting a thousand although i i thought on one of the hunts that you were involved with that maybe i jinxed it (laughs) by saying that ahead of the hunt that night at dinner but uh you know, that, that also alludes to the fact that there's a tremendous effort that goes into wanting to, to have uh, these these children be in the right spots at the right time and to, to be able to bring these hunting success stories 
all the way home and to, to get it done. Um, you know, we've been very fortunate that this program allows for these children to be able to access the field five days prior to these areas that would open up for whatever hunting season they have, whether it be limited quota or general. Um, this this allows a little bit of a head start. And uh, while we certainly know that there's been some phenomenal animals harvested within this program, it's it's never been the mainstay. This isn't about a, a trophy hunt as much as it is just the experience with these kids. Uh, but certainly, you know, if the opportunity presents itself for one of these children to be able to harvest a, a trophy class quality animal, then uh, we're, we're not going to pass. But many of these kids, I mean, we've had we've had kids that have shot spike elk. We've had kids that uh, shot very small antelope or spindly antelope by someone who's looking for, for something more in the trophy class. And, that that doesn't even matter to these kids. Uh, they they just this opportunity is special, and we just uh, we really enjoy that time in the field with them. I will Josh, say my, on that note, if you oh go ahead. No, go, I was just going to say I, I've heard some stories from my dad and brother um, about some radio talks, some dad jokes, and I've heard it's just a, a really good time um, helping out. So <laughs> I, I think I can uh, I can speak for at least myself and probably the rest of the Bitter Creek Outdoors team. Uh, Hopefully next year I'll be a little bit more involved with actually going out and hunting, and I'm, I'm sure Bitter Creek Outdoors will, um, you know, as long as we're, we're going strong. So uh, you can take that for what it's worth. Take our word for it because I know Drew appreciates it, uh, enjoys it. My dad appreciates it, and uh, I'm looking forward to helping out. So Yeah, no, we'd be glad to have you. And I will tell you, um, you know, specific to Bitter Creek Outdoors, uh, the, the commitment and the time. I mean, heck, your dad even had a, a flat tire this year, which – you know, it was a bummer because tires on a truck like what he's driving, you know, those aren't cheap, and that's just part of the the, the bag, I guess. He 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 said, nope, that's that's just how it is. And, uh, but it was but it was beyond that. It was all of the time him sending me pictures in the morning. He's out there scouting early uh, to you know us packing that elk up the mountain this year because you know the boy was in a wheelchair and, and couldn't do that, um, to, to field dressing it. Drew, you've been an all-star on that. Uh, but if there's one thing, if I can get a plug and I, I'm not looking for a plug, but if I can get a plug on this program, it's that this program only survives by word of mouth, uh, due to the HIPAA laws that are in place, the recruitment of applicants. We, we, there's not, uh, there's not a resource at hospitals or in local schools or through guidance counselors that can provide this information. We know that. We recognize that. This program only survives by someone who knows someone who knows someone who knows someone that can share that this program exists for these situations. And we've taken children from all over the United States, from as far as Connecticut and Florida to you name it. And, uh, you know, we, we cover all of the costs for them so that there's no financial burden for them to be able to, to make this dream come true. Um, we work with some great partners locally with the, the hotel and lodging industry to be able to put them up at a discounted rate. But these folks, when they reach out to us and say, hey, I've got a son or daughter that would like to do this, um, once once all the paperwork's in place, I mean, it's it, there, there's some steps to it, but it, it's pretty it's pretty light or it's not real invasive. I mean, we have to have their doctor sign off on their illness and uh, we send that and the license fees into the game and fish. And 
once we get a go, man, it's all about planning what is going to be a great trip so that they can come out here and have a, a memory that they can store in their mental Rolodex for life. Heck, that's I love that, and you know, Josh, this is this is what we want. We want you to have those plugs, um, and really just get spread the word. And I, I think that's the whole point of the Exit One Forty Two podcast is we don't know what we're doing on this end of the mic, but we just want to promote, uh, you know, the great outdoors of Wyoming, but also kind of what's going on behind the scenes, whether it's Mealy Fanatic Foundation or whoever else. So yeah, always welcome to hop on if there's something you want to say or spread the word. But uh, speaking of kind of spreading the word, I think kind of going full full circle. You mentioned it earlier in the podcast is uh, some of the banquets going on. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the banquets and kind of what's in the, the future for uh, Muley Fanatic Foundation and that? Sure. Yeah, we have uh, we do have some upcoming events. Uh, we have probably our next upcoming event is a headquartered sponsored event. Uh, that is the Cowboy Christmas Ball. This will be our ninth annual Cowboy Christmas Ball that's held at the pavilion on the island there in Green River. And that's a, that's a great event. And then... Boys, shortly after that, you, you flip the calendar and you talk about uh, a loaded spring. Um, several of our chapter events, of course, by design, occur in February, March, and April, which is a good time for folks to, to be able to gather, you know, birds of a feather flock together type of thing. You know, it's that time of year where being outside isn't real conducive to camping or some of the outdoor activities. Uh, so the springtime is a, is a very strategic time for having chapter events. And then, man, I got to say, this will be the first time we've talked about this on any program. Uh, we put out a little bit of information, but we certainly haven't done any radio advertising or podcast talking about this yet. But uh, we have a two-day event that is scheduled in Rock Springs, Wyoming, at the Sweetwater County Events Complex uh, that we have no doubt in our mind will will grow to be the, the staple conservation event for the state of Wyoming. And I say that not uh, just because of our investment into this, but uh, we, we got the, the one partner that uh, in order to make this fly, um, we, we needed to have the department on board. And so the Wyoming Game and Fish Department has uh, kicked in a significant amount of dollars to help promote this in knowing that they also see the need for this to be the, the Wyoming staple mule deer conservation event. And, so we're calling this event Mule Deer Days, and uh, it's going to be great. It'll, it's a two-day event. It'll feature a display of some of the finest mule deer ever harvested in Wyoming from all over the state. And uh, we're bringing in some of the, the big-name vendors that uh, really have never even come to Wyoming, like Kuyu is our marquee sponsor. They're bringing their truck and their semi-truck and trailer. Of course, Weatherby, Lucid Optics, Kinetrek Boots, Go Hunt. Uh, Davis Tent. I mean, we, we've been, all these relationships that we've been building over 10 years, uh, we're, we're calling them all to, to come support this, knowing that uh, it's going to be a great two-day event. There'll be seminars both days on everything from migration, habitat, quick quartering, meat processing at home, chronic wasting disease, wildlife photography, uh, and then a host of youth, youth activities. I mean, if there's one initiative that the Wyoming Game and Fish Department has right now that is just a mainstay for Director Nesvik is the initiative that he brought to the table, and it's called Inspire a Youth. So Game and Fish will be there in full force, uh, promoting all kinds of kids' activities and kid events. Then Friday night will be some entertainment. 
we'll have the flip-flop guy and then we have a great band that we've booked out of montana that'll be performing uh the exhibit hall will be open again both friday and saturday uh friday morning there will be a ladies only brunch with a guest speaker serena thompson uh, at the Santa Fe Trail. They've got a lot of nice prizes that they'll be giving away for that. Saturday morning, there will be a life member-only breakfast at the Santa Fe Trail with who I am extremely excited to have as our guest speaker. He's from Newfoundland. You've probably seen him. You've probably heard of him. A guy by the name of Shane, Moh- Shane Mahoney. I mean, by many accounts, he's he's probably considered our, our modern-day godfather of conservation. Real powerful speaker, uh, truly uh, very interested in what efforts we're having in Wyoming and the difference-making efforts that we continue to pursue. Um, and then uh, that's going to be a pretty cool breakfast uh, because all life members that are present uh, are going to be in for a drawing for uh, an Alberta hunt for deer that uh, values at about 14000 bucks, and Kuyu is putting two thousand dollars worth of gear specific to that hunt that'll go with it and you can't buy a ticket for it you just you got to be a life member and you got to be in the room when we draw so that'll be cool and then saturday night will be a big dinner uh big auction and then we got a great comedian you've you've probably seen him on uh some of the earl dibbles jr podcasts and videos that he does a guy by the name of ginger billy that's always in earl's videos uh, he's a comedian that's just uh, on the up, and so we got him booked, and he'll be here, and that, that'll be a great event. But, uh, yeah, we really are looking forward to seeing Wyoming finally get a uh, an, an expo, if you will, because so many of our neighboring states have been doing it for years. But, again, the cool thing about it is is it's a little different than the other states, and, and that's just how we roll. Um, 70% of the net revenue that that two-day event makes is going to be allocated back in Wyoming through an all-volunteer committee. In fact, I've asked your dad to sit on that. So, Heck, Josh, uh, I think I can speak for Drew as well. We both have huge smiles on our face uh, hearing about Mule Deer Days, and that's March 10th and 11th uh, next year, 2023, at the Sweetwater County uh, Events Complex. And, heck, I know I think I'm going to ask Mom and Dad, uh, Mom or Dad, for a, a lifetime membership. Yeah, that's uh, what I was about to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so uh, – do that and heck, enjoy the two days uh, for the Muley Fanatic Foundation. And heck, you guys got a lot going on. And heck, I mean, just looking at this, uh, you know, more information on Facebook, of course, and then get tickets at MuleyFanatic.org. But I mean, just the sponsors and what's going on in those two days. Like you said, it is jam packed for two days. So heck, if you're in anywhere close to Sweetwater County on March 10th or 11th, I think this is the place to be. And heck, yeah, yeah, it's going to be a good expo. And, um, I'm I'm so excited for you, Josh, and what you guys are doing in the future. Is there anything else you want to add um, from your side of things of what's going on? Well, it wouldn't it wouldn't happen if it wasn't for guys like you, uh, you you and Drew. You're, you're committed sportsmen. You you hold that responsibility of what that accountability of being a sportsman means and, and giving back. And so, while I thank you for recognizing that MFF is doing some great things. Uh, we, we we can only do it if we're doing it together, and I mean it's it's bigger than one or two or three or four. I mean it's a it's, it's truly to to have a profound impact. It's going to take it's going to take a collective effort, and uh, all, all we are is just kind of a, an organizer to to bridge um, putting people together that 
cherish and hold uh, the same values for the things that uh, we love about the outdoors and our time in the field. Heck, I, I couldn't say it any better, Josh. Yeah, and, not, not a <laughs> chance. I could. So. Yeah, so heck, I think with that, I mean, that basically wraps up the podcast. And I can't thank you enough for hopping on. I know you have a busy schedule. Um, again, thank you for representing uh, me and FNAC Foundation and hopping on and uh, whatever what, everything your team is doing. Uh, it's awesome. And uh, I know Drew, Drew's disappointed he won't see you on December 10th, but I'll sure to be there and uh, be sure to chat maybe a little Cubs baseball or something. Hey, there you go. Go Cubs. I seen tonight that they were uh, they they were at least listed as one of the teams that uh, was favored to land Aaron Judge. So that's a, <laughs> they need yeah, a lot more help than that. I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. For sure. That's, that's true. true. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks, guys. So, yeah. I appreciate it greatly. Yeah, thank you, Josh. Thank you for listening to the Exit 142 podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe wherever you get this podcast and follow Bitter Creek Outdoors on social media, Facebook and Instagram.